This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Thanks for joining us for the legislature today. I'm Curtis Tate. Today is crossover day. What does that mean? Brianna Heaney explains. Today is crossover day here at the legislature. It's the last day for bills to be passed out of their chamber of origin to be considered in the other body. If the body is considering its own bill, that means that it's an amended version headed back to that body for approval. For example, if the Senate is considering a Senate bill, that means that the House sent that bill back to the Senate with changes or amendments. Now, the Senate will be considering that bill, and if passed, it'll head to the governor's desk for consideration. Crossover Day started 18 years ago. Senator Michael Oliverio, a Republican from Monongalia County, authored the rules bill that made Crossover Day. He says the idea came from the frustration of having thousands of bills in the QU leading into the very last week and a half of the session. I really got this idea from just personal observation and from frustration uh, that as we went further and further into the session, there were still thousands of bills before consideration and, and none of them were actually going to go anywhere so we could focus on those that were left. He says after all these years that he thinks his rule has proven to be good for the legislators and the public. Uh, it's created a lot of transparency for the media and for the public to be able to see which bills are really in play the last 10 days when most of the legislation passes. We're sitting here on day 50 and only about 16 bills have passed the legislature. So when we're sitting here 10 days from now, that number may be 200 or more. So at least the public can really see what's in play, what's being considered, and the legislators themselves can focus on what actually may become a law. Okay. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Today the Senate worked on getting all of its bills on third reading passed and over to the House of Delegates. However, four bills that were expected to stir debate were moved to the bottom of the agenda to be discussed later in the evening. That will be too late for our broadcast today, but we'll have more on them tomorrow. Brianna Heaney has our latest. For the last few days, the Senate has been working double time, literally. They have met in the morning, gone to committee meetings, and then came back onto the floor around 5 p.m. Earlier today, the Senate passed 17 bills, but it pushed four controversial bills to be read this evening. Here's a look at those bills. Senate Bill 840 and 841 both cut down unemployment benefits in the state. One bill reduces the weekly benefit and another bill introduces a tiered system that would broadly reduce the duration of benefits available to those who lost their job at no fault of their own. 
There are a number of proposed amendments to this bill. Some have been crafted in conversations with statewide labor unions. Leadership has also indicated that some of the amendments may nullify parts of the existing bills. A growing number of West Virginia landowners have entered deals where they get paid for not timbering their land as part of a carbon offsetting deal. Usually, these deals are made with companies who are trying to reach carbon neutrality. Senate Bill 822 would tax those agreements up to 50%. Those opposed to the bill say that this attacks people's right to do what they want with their property. Senate Bill 601 is a bill that adds language to state code that replaces the word gender with the word sex. It also could limit trans access to places like bathrooms and locker rooms that match their gender identity. It is similar to a House bill that prompted a public hearing and hours of floor debate. On crossover day, dozens of bills were on third reading in the House of Delegates. The issues ranged from parents' involvement in the school curriculum to gender-affirming care. Randy Yoey has more. House Bill 4313 creates the Parents' Bill of Rights. The bill empowers parents to direct the upbringing, education, health care, and mental health of their child, to direct the school to adhere to their interests regarding their child. It says parents may bring suit against anyone for any violation of this article. Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Monongalia County, opposed a bill he says is misnamed and continues to promote a culture war in the legislature. And that this cause of action can be employed on a number of hot-button issues, issues related to race, issues related to gender, issues related to women's health care. The bill passed 83 to 14. In continuing to correct the corrections crisis, House Bill 4734 provides another pay increase to state correctional workers in West Virginia. It gives all correction workers, not just guards, a $6,000 bonus with more than three years of service. Delegate Ty Nestor, a Republican from Randolph County, was one of many supporting a measure he says helps decrease the crisis. You're not just going to give monies that are due and owing that have been earned by members of the Division of Corrections and Juvenile Services and Regional Jail Authority. You're also going to thank them for how they conducted themselves and their bravery for staying with their jobs. The bill passed 99 to 0. House Bill 4822 creates the Certified Sites and Development Readiness Program. Local communities would apply for a site development micro-grant of up to $75,000, all to be decided by the Department of Economic Development. Delegate Adam Vance, a Republican from Wyoming County, opposed the bill. He believes the coal fields will continue to be ignored by the micro-grant decision-makers. You've got navigable rivers that they want to go to because it's easy. They have border counties because it's easy. They have four-lane highways because it's easy. But the ones that are needing the help the most, that is the hardest hit, that's in the middle of somewhere that don't have these things, they still are not reaching out to. And I don't think that this bill is going to reach out to those areas even more. But Delegate Clay Riley, a Republican from Harrison County, supported a bill he says gives localities a competitive chance for development. This is the opportunity that gives them the additional funds to say, you know what, maybe I can go get a take a piece of property through the voluntary remediation program so we can get it cleaned up. Maybe I can get that bat survey done so maybe I can lure someone there. So if you want to help the small rural counties who may be down on their luck, 
this is an opportunity to help them up. The bill passed 86 to 13. House Bill 4945 relates generally to the HOPE Scholarship Program. The bill adjusts funding to anticipate greater real-time enrollment and includes micro-school eligibility and addresses public school re-enrollment. House Minority Chair Sean Hornbuckle, a Democrat from Cabell County, continued to express his caucus's concerns over limited funding for public schools and the HOPE Scholarship Program. It takes money away from your private schools, from your pods or micro schools, and sends them out of state. We did not close up that loophole. We are literally funding out of school, excuse me, out of state schools. That is very problematic with the Hope Scholarship. We are in a crisis. But Delegate Wayne Clark, a Republican from Jefferson County, was with the majority who supported the bill. He noted two major components. Number one, if there is no kid in the school, there is no funding for that school. Right? No kid, no funds. Number two, parents' choice where they want their taxpayer education money to go. The HOPE Scholarship Bill passed 76 to 21. Gender-affirming care is at the center of House Bill 5297. The proposal prohibits puberty blockers and hormonal therapy when provided to assist in a gender transition. The bill says a physician may not provide irreversible gender reassignment surgery or gender-altering medication for the purpose of assisting an individual with a gender transition to anyone under 18 years of age. There are exceptions for severe medical conditions as long as they do not go toward gender transition. Amendments proposed to grandfather in minors already undergoing such treatment and make the treatments and puberty-blocking medication necessary for suicidal patients both failed. Delegate Kaylee Young, a Democrat from Kanawha County, opposed the bill, saying the medication can be life-saving. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in kids aged 10 to 14. It is the third leading cause of death in kids aged 15 to 24. When we talk about LGBTQ kids, those rates are four times higher. In 2022, in West Virginia, 50% of trans kids thought about suicide. 20% of them actually attempted it. That is horrible. Horrible. These are not statistics that we should be proud of at all. Gender-affirming care has been known to reduce suicide by 75%. But Delegate Jeff Foster, a Republican from Putnam County, disputed the life-saving premise regarding hormonal medication. There's no proven methodology that says that it actually does decrease suicidality. What, what does help these children, in many cases, when they're suffering through gender dysphoria, they're also suffering from comorbid situations such as depression. And I think when we say, well, we're going to treat this by gender-affirming care and switching someone's gender, and that'll fix the problem. Well, the suicidality rate is the same before and after transition or before and after these drugs are prescribed. The bill passed 88 to 11. One Republican, Delegate Diana Wisenreed of Ohio County, voted no with 10 Democrats. All these bills will now go to the Senate. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. A new information portal would be available to foster parents and kinship caregivers if a House bill becomes law. Emily Rice has this story. Many delegates rose to speak to the ongoing problems in West Virginia's foster care system, insisting this bill does not do enough to help the state's more than 6,000 kids in foster care. 
House Bill 4975 would incorporate a foster and kinship parent information system into the existing child welfare information technology system. Delegate Larry Rowe, a Democrat from Kanawha County, spoke in support of the bill, but said it fell short by not helping families before children are removed from the home. This bill will help make sure that once a child is removed from the home, that the information is provided and that, that services can be provided that are particular to the child. So the bill itself is very good, but it's only one step. We need to take the other step and help these families before they're split up in court in abuse and neglect proceedings. Delegate Brandon Steele, a Republican from Raleigh County, agreed with Delegate Rowe and added attorney's costs for child abuse and neglect cases could be used in different ways to keep families together. And I would tell you, if we're going to see real change in CPS, we need to start doing exactly what the gentleman from the 52nd brought up, pre-petition services. Actually getting into the houses and helping folks out. You got a dirty house case? One hearing, one hearing with seven private attorneys costs more money than a call to serve pro to go over and clean that house up and try to keep that family together. Delegate Adam Vance, a Republican from Wyoming County, shared his experience as a foster and adoptive parent and called the bill a step in the right direction. We've had placements, uh, foster placements in my house from the state and from one of the agencies. And the agencies, when they come in, they are very good. They give you all the information that you could ask for plus. They give it to you, they hand it to you, they'll sit there and answer any questions, they'll talk to you about it or anything. The state, when they come in, they said, here's the kid, five minutes later, they're out there. House Bill 4975 passed the House unanimously and will now be considered by the Senate. For the legislature today, I'm Emily Rice in charge. It took 66 years to go from the Wright brothers to the moon. Experts say it won't take that long for artificial intelligence to turn everything on its head. AI is top of mind for the state's legislative leadership as well. Randy Yoey talked with Joshua Spence, Chief Information Officer for Alpha Technologies, and Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Monongalia County, on what AI means for now and the future. Artificial intelligence, AI, it's been around in one form or another for quite a while, but it seems to become a top of mind in the last uh, couple of years or so. So let's break it down with an AI 101, if we will. I've got a couple of gentlemen here that are going to help me do that. Josh Spence is the was the Chief Information Officer for the State of West Virginia from 2018 to 2023, and you were also the Chief Information Security Officer for the state. Uh, Delegate Evan Hansen is an environmental consultant with a background in computer science. Gentlemen, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having yeah. us. Thanks for having us. All right, let's start with you, Josh. AI, artificial intelligence. Let's just get a basic definition because it, does, it falls into a couple of different categories, right? Yeah, absolutely. AI's been around for a while, and there's a couple different variations of how, it, um, how it's leveraged. Um, but ultimately, it's technology and it's a tool. So it, one, air, one form of which AI has been around is you see that natural language processing. And so natural language processing is when you go to a web browser search engine, Google or Microsoft, and you search something, you can pretty much ask the question however you want, yet the search engine is able to interpret what you're asking. And so that's one form. The form that's really 
come out more recently that's gotten a lot of craze is generative AI, where you're asking the technology to generate something creative or create something off of a prompt. And we, we have del we have uh, legislation, Delegate Hansen, uh, regarding a number of aspects, but from what I heard from the speaker back before the session started and, and some others as well, uh, we want to just get a hold of AI before it gets a hold of us for both good and bad. Am I right? I think that's true, and I think we need to educate ourselves as lawmakers because AI has great potential to do good, and it also has potential to do bad, so we want to be able to make smart policy. Um, let's start with some more definitions, deep fakes. I mean, that's more than Photoshop on steroids, right? Absolutely. So a deep fake is where you're taking a video or an audio or both and you're digitally altering that, usually on a person or an object, and you're changing what that object or person looks like. So uh, the, the, mo uh, the real dangerous piece to it is when you're changing the voice to make it say something different, the person to say something different, or they look like a different person. And of course, uh, those can be used for malicious purposes. We've heard that in the House the other day with a bill that talked about deep fakes regarding elections and, and campaigning. Uh, tell me about the concerns there. Well, there is a concern. We, we saw what happened with somebody essentially faking President Biden's voice in New Hampshire. Um, so deep fakes can be used directly in elections. I mean, there are some subtleties in, related to that bill. Um, the definition of deep fake, in my opinion, included things like photoshopping images on a campaign mailer. And so I think that that kind of underscores the importance of us really getting educated on this issue so we could properly define things in the bills that we pass and, and target the truly malicious actors rather than over-regulating. It's, it's all still pretty new to understand. Uh, when, you, when we talk about that bill, uh, how would enforcement come about? I think that's one of the <laughs> one of the good questions as well. I mean, it, that particular bill outlawed uh, the use of deep fakes for elections within 60 days of an election, and I assume some type of complaint would need to be filed. But you know, that's even without deep fakes, there's all sorts of malicious things that happen with elections in the days leading up to election day. So we're not in totally uncharted territory. It's just that even more malicious things could be done if you're impersonating somebody. Josh, there's another bill out besides um, a campaign and election that has to do with pornography and minors. And I know that there's a big concern there when it comes to some of these deep fakes. Yeah, absolutely. So just like any, any technology advancements, those, those tools can be used for good or they can also be used for, for bad and for malicious intent. And so we need to be on the forefront of making sure uh, there's protections in place to protect citizens. And this is a big protection that needs to be put. And I'm glad to see that they're moving it forward. Um, let's talk about education. You, you sent me a couple of notes that I thought were interesting that education's initial response is to slow down and inhibit the use of AI in the classroom. Is cheating right? But no. Uh, there, let's start with you, Josh. There's a number of ways that education, that AI is, is is a positive tool for education. Absolutely. It is a tool that we need to incorporate into how students learn and how they performance students because the expectation once they get into the workforce will be to leverage AI as part of their job. So we want to make sure we're getting on the front end of that and not, um, not, not locking it down. So let me give you just a real quick example. When I was in high school, we'd ask the math teacher, can we use a calculator on the test? And of course, her answer was no, we couldn't. She said, are you going to carry a calculator around everywhere you go? <laughs> 
what yet we do now, right? So it's just important to understand where the technology is going to do with, with the workforce so that we're properly preparing them. And it's not just math, it's science as well that we have to relate AI into our educational system, is not? I think it's everything. It's all the <laughs> subjects. And, and I, I think one of the concerns is what about cheating, right? So, and that's a real concern and something that needs to be dealt with by our school systems. <laughs> Talk about AI and dangers. You had a couple of bullet points when it comes to some of the dangers that we, we, I mean, we talked about elections and we talked about, you know, pornography and minors. Those are some of the big ticket issues, but there's some other dangers as well. Yeah, so I think one of the dangers in AI is that it's, it's being related to um, uh, how it can mimic a human. So they describe AI a lot of times with anthropomorphic uh, descriptions like it can see or it can think. The drawback to that, unfortunately, though, is that it can allow for an assumption of what the AI can do that's not accurate. So I think it's one of those areas that we need to be really careful when we're describing it. And that, like uh, the delegate said, uh, make sure we understand these terminology because it's really important. Um, we talk about some, there's a task force now that, that's being put together to try to look at some of these general issues, break them down and understand where we need to go from here with both the House and the Senate, the West Virginia legislature. They talk about protecting consumer information and, and delivering public services. So uh, that's a range for AI, is it not? Yeah, that task force is important. I hope that it, it actually gets constituted because like I said, we have a lot to learn because it touches on everything. It touches on the public sector, touches on the private sector, touches on education, like previously discussed, and, and there's civil liberties issues and privacy issues. So there's so much that we need to try to understand better. Um, generative uh, artificial intelligence. I, I mean, we, I think we went through the definitions already, but when we talk about generative, am I overthinking it? Well, it's just something that's generated from nothing? Well, it's definitely generated from the, the large language model, which is trained on a lot of data. So that's really important, but um, it does generate what is considered unique content. Um, well, I got a, a big list of them here. Assessing the use of artificial intelligence in the workforce and how this could affect employment levels, types of employment. Uh, where can we go from there, Delegate Hansen? Well, there, there are people projecting that a lot of jobs that we have today will be made obsolete by AI. So I think that's one thing that we need to understand So we've got to look, better. look ahead there. Um, possibilities. Um, you also talked about, uh, Josh, um, that it's a tool. I, I, I mean, what, you, what kind of toolbox does it go with? And then how, is it, how would it be best used? You know, when you say a tool, uh, what exactly do you mean? So this technology um, provides a capability for, for the human to leverage as a tool. And so it's going to be really important for us to teach a digital proficiency, um, just as uh, you, you would have a chef would use different tools in the kitchen or a surgeon would use different tools in the, in the operating room. Uh, AI is going to integrate itself into the tools that we have and, and being able to understand how that helps and how that um, to interface with it will be very important. And I think that we have some concerns when, when you hear about AI right now, you start to think of the negative, I think, too, too many people do, because the bad guys are going to grab onto it a little quicker maybe than the good guys are going to be ready to defend it. I mean, that's one of the reasons we're looking at these bills, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I do have some real concerns about it. I don't think it can be stopped, but for example, I think AI can be used to kind of reinforce some of the divisions in society and and 
things like that and turn people against each other. And I, I do have concerns about that, especially if people take what comes out of an AI system as, as the truth. Um, what else? What, is there anything else that needs to be top of mind when we're talking about this subject? Yes. Well, uh, so I think uh, one area this we want to make sure we're looking at is is moving people forward in understanding the definitions, and then we got to we got to work on understanding how this is going to impact education, which we talked about, and then I think the security factor because you're going to see some cybersecurity issues as a result of AI as well, because like you mentioned, the threat actors are going to be much faster at adopting its capability, and, and then then the good guys are going to be able to use it to defend. Cybersecurity fits right in there. I know that the legislature last year gave $45 million to Marshall University to develop the state's uh, cybersecurity school, if you will, to be a, a national model. So, so that fits in the bill right there. Oh, it does. It's definitely something we need to look at. And we can't invest enough resources in that because, you know, I think professionals are aware of many threats that people like me don't even know are being fended off. And, and if, the, if those are gonna increase with AI, we need to get ahead of that. We, we got less than a minute left, but I, I know last year we passed a bill that uh, creates a pilot program collecting data on the health of state roads using AI. So it could be rudimentary too. It doesn't have to be off in the clouds or off in the, in the, in the computer. Um, it, it's, it's basically a learning process, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. AI is going to be able to create uh, an opportunity to get insights out of massive amounts of data that we couldn't do normally. Oh. Josh Spence, Delegate Evan Hansen, thanks for being here today. We're going to just be, continue to do our deep dive into these deep fakes and everything else that's going on with artificial intelligence. Back to you. Thank you for spending this time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and the Senate on the West Virginia channel. I'm Curtis Tate. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us and have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.